If you're ready to study the scripture, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. My name is Ross, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here at One Chapel. So great to have you here to join with us as we uh, read this story, this resurrection story from the scriptures. We'll begin in Luke chapter 24. Um, I want to highlight for you as we begin, though, what the great C.S. Lewis, author and theologian, a brilliant man, what he said. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it can't be is moderately important. (laughs) It can't just be nice. And I think what we're going to discover today as we look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that it is unique in the world. Because while many um, religions may have martyrs, martyrs of significant people, there is one who died and then rose again. And so uh, as we read this scripture, would you open your heart to what that means to you today? So let's pray over the scripture. Father, would you illuminate our minds, illuminate our hearts, cause us to see who you really are here as we read this story, and would you help us, give us grace, not only to hear it, but then to obey We thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Luke 24, verse one says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men Two glowing men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. Be crucified And on the third day, be raised again. I love this verse. Then they remembered his words. Just pause right now. And I think many of us, we forget the words of Jesus during our darkest moment. We forget what he has said. We leave it to the side. It doesn't doesn't help us in the moment because we've forgotten it. Verse 9 says, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. The 11 disciples is what he's talking about here. Verse 10 says, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Men, have you ever been talking to a woman and her words seemed like nonsense? Me neither. Never. It's never happened to me. But there's something here. They they didn't understand what the women were saying. Why? Because there was a new reality breaking through on them. They couldn't wrap their minds around what had happened. It seemed impossible. Verse 12 says, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, and bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself, what 
had happened. What is this? What is this new reality we're, we're looking at where a person who was dead is now alive? Could it be? Is what Peter was thinking. The great author Tim Keller, he wrote, he's written many great books, one of which is The Reason for God, which is one of my favorite of all time. Tim Keller said this in that book. He said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? <laughs> it doesn't really matter. He's just another good guy. The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Resurrection life and power is significant. Now, the skeptics... Right? People, people who are skeptical of this kind of thing, whether or not Jesus rose from the dead, I don't, I don't think is really the question, the right question. The question that needs to be answered is, how in the face of persecution did Christianity begin to influence so many cultures in just a couple hundred, 300 short years when it became the dominant religion of the Roman Empire. And I, I, I understand that there are different viewpoints on this, but listen, why do men give their lives in persecution, under persecution for a man that they walked with for three years? How does this happen? Why does it happen? Could it be? Could it be that resurrection life reshaped their reality? Could it be that a new reality burst upon the scene and gave them a reason for living that was greater than anything else they'd understood? Could it be that it gave them the reason to give their lives? I think we have to ask this question. Of course, Jesus himself, what did he say? He said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He wasn't just saying, um, I am meaning for your life. It wasn't an existential statement. What you have to realize is Jesus was saying he's the way, he's the truth, and he is life. He didn't just give away life. He wasn't just dispensing it. He wasn't just the conduit for it. He was himself the life of God, and it was coming out of him. He didn't even have to try. It exuded from him. Everywhere he went, things happened. People were healed. It was an amazing experience. We learn this from the Gospels, where it's recorded in Scripture what Jesus did while he was here on earth. And he, there's a few stories I just want to highlight. them. One is in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, a man named Jairus who was a synagogue leader. He, he, he comes to Jesus because his daughter is sick. And his reality was closing in on him. And in his worst possible moment, the worst possible thing that could happen was his daughter dying. And so he's a good man. He fears God, but he knows of the reputation of Jesus. And so he seeks him out and he goes and finds him. And he says, Jesus, please, please heal my daughter. And Jesus says uh, he, he would go with him. Well, on the way... There's crowds of people that are following Jesus, crowds of people trying to get close to him, trying to connect with him. He's healing people. Things are happening. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus is, is, is there, and he says to, his, to the people around him, he says, hey, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Somebody just touched me. His disciples look at him and said, Jesus, everybody's touching you. What are you talking about? Everybody's pressing in. And he said, no, 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 something... Power has just gone out of me. That's what Jesus said. 
power has just gone out of me. And what had happened was a woman who was sick for 12 years with a, with a, a disease of her blood had found her way through the crowd, had pressed her way through the crowd. And she thought in her mind, the Bible records, that if I can just get to him, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, one translation says, if I can just touch his clothes, then I'll be healed. Here's the interesting idea. The power was there. The power was there for taking, for receiving. Could have come to anybody. But this woman who was in deep need had traveled a very long journey, but in faith made her way to Jesus and touched him, and, and she was instantly healed. So they continue on, and they're going to Jairus' house, and finally... Some people come from the house and they tell Jesus and Jairus, it's too late. She's dead. She's gone. There's, it, there's no use in bothering the master anymore. And Jesus, it's very interesting, he turns to Jairus and he says, don't be afraid. Just believe. Just believe. And they get to the house and there, there they are in, in the house. People are crying and there's mourning and there's there's." you know, crying out, screaming and out, of, out of this grief. And this girl has died. And Jesus says in the middle of all that, he says, hey, she is not dead. She's just asleep. And, and the scripture actually records, they started laughing at him. So here they are crying. And suddenly Jesus says something that is really profound and meaningful. But they start laughing at him like he's crazy. You know what the deal was? Jesus was functioning in a different reality than them. Their reality, in their reality, she was dead. In the reality of Christ, the reality of resurrection life, the reality of eternal life, she was asleep. Because there was power available that the rest of them didn't consider. So he goes in there, he sends everybody out of the house, and they, they, he begins to pray over her. And there's just, I think, Peter, James, and John, they went in the house with him, and there's the family there. And he puts his hands on the girl, the scripture records, like, like two giant defibrillator <laughs> things. <laughs> you know, like, you know, have you seen a defibrillator, right? You put it on the, it, he, Jesus plays his hands, and suddenly he says, get up. <laughs> He probably didn't do it twice. He probably just needed once. And suddenly, 1.21 gigawatts of supernatural power goes through the girl. And she, and she springs to life. She gets up. She wakes up. And Jesus says, says, well, get her something to eat. Like nothing had happened. Why? Because Jesus was functioning in a different reality. I think sometimes we get lulled to sleep by our existing reality. And we forget that there is another reality that we have to tap into as believers, as people who are in need, as people who can't really make life happen on our own. In another story in John 11, Jesus comes to a town where he wants to bring a man back to life named Lazarus. Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. He comes there and he, he waits. 
He waits several days. When he hears the news that Lazarus is sick, he, he waits and he tells his disciples, something great is going to happen. God is going to receive glory for what's going to happen. And he kind of forecasts it for them because he knows what's coming. And so he gets there and he says the same thing. He says, Lazarus isn't dead. He is asleep. And then the disciples are all confused. And finally, he says it plain. He was dead. He, Jesus finally says, he's dead, but I'm going to wake him up. And what happens is he goes to the, to the town, and when he arrives in the town, Lazarus and Mary and Martha are deep and meaningful friends to Jesus. He'd spent a lot of time with them. And what it says in John 11, verse 23, he says, Lord, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Martha had a hope. She, she had a spark of, could, could something happen here? Could something really take place? And so she, she says, if you'd just been here, you've just been here, he wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Verse 24, Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Martha says, okay, I got it. Jesus, what do you mean by he will rise again? She's like, you know, what do you exactly do you mean by that? Because I know, I've been taught, all right? I understand that, that there will be a resurrection on, at, at the end of all time. And he's good, uh, there, he will rise at that time. But the question Martha is asking is, can he rise now? Can life come to him now? It's a good question, one that many of us should ask. Can life come to us now, or do we just think about what is coming at the end? Or for some of us, death is it. Get all you can now, because life is all you got. This life right here, live it up, because once you're dead, it's over. Jesus is offering an alternate reality, a resurrection reality. But the thing that Jesus says to her, verse 25, he says, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never, everybody say never. never. The one, whoever believes in me, believing in me will never die lives believing in me. The, whoever lives by believing in me. This is an interesting phrase, isn't it? We try to live with so many other things. We try to live by, with our money. We try to live by, by, by our family. We try to live in our career. All of this we struggle to live in when Jesus says that it, real life comes by believing in me and you'll never die. And she, he says, do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord. She replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. This is the point. She believed in who Jesus was. A, this is a pivotal decision for her and for every one of us. The decision we have to make, every one of us, is, is Jesus who he claimed he really was? And who he is today. Is he the person he claimed to be? And if he is, we must pay attention because all who have accepted Christ, all who have surrendered their lives to him, everyone who has yielded their life to him, not only gets their sins taken away, but receives the life that only comes from God. Resurrection life. 
Jesus came to the earth to make things right. There's no doubt about it. It's, and it's obvious. Hey, 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 there's no mystery here. The world is not right. There is plenty of injustice. All you have to do is look around, look at the news. Things are not right. Jesus came to begin to make things right. And there will be a day when everything comes under his authority and he will make all things right once and for all. And the question is, will we trust him to make our lives right? Will we trust him to make our life right? Resurrection life is not only for later. It's for now. It's not just for later, it's for now. And listen, here's the thing. If, if death is, can be overcome, if death has been conquered, if resurrection life has conquered even death, then oh, anything's possible. Anything's possible. Think of it. Resurrection life equals unlimited possibilities. If death is not the end, if death has been conquered, if the, the idea that there's more to life than just living it and then dying, then that means anything's possible. That means resurrection life is greater than our past. That means resurrection life is greater than our failures. That means resurrection life is greater than our addictions. That means resurrection life is greater than our own thoughts and intellectual ideas. Resurrection life is greater than sin. Resurrection life has conquered death. That means anything's possible. But you know what the problem is? So many people can't see it. Can't see it. We don't open ourselves up to the new possibility, to a new reality. You and I have to ask ourselves the question, what reality are we living in? Are we living in a resurrection reality? Or do we just live in a reality that we define? I was looking up this idea. I was, I, I was doing some research, and I found these people, this list of people that have had real trouble opening their minds to new realities. Right? Here, I'll just give you a little list of them. Right? Charles Duell. Charles Duell was the commissioner of the U.S. Office of Patents in 1899. 1899. Here's what he said. He said, everything that can be invented has been invented. <laughs> we, don't need, we don't need more patents. We got, it, it's, I mean, technology is moving at an alarming rate in 1899. He couldn't see it. He wasn't open to the possibility. 1927, H.M. Warner of Warner Brothers argued that there was no need to add sound to movies. Who the heck wants to hear actors talk, he exclaimed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I happen to agree with him. But 1962, 1962, Decca Records turned down the signing of the worldwide phenomenon known as the Beatles. Here's what they said. We don't like their sound and guitar groups are on their way out. Here we are, 50 years later, guitar groups are on their way out. <laughs> Finally, um, my favorite example, Ronald Wayne. You guys know who Ronald Wayne is? He's, he's actually a unique character in modern history. He sold his part of a tiny little startup company that he had put together with two other Steves named Apple. And he sold his shares for $2,300. 
couldn't see what might be coming. Couldn't, couldn't open his mind to the reality of what, what, what the possibility could be. This is a human condition, isn't it? In truth, only Jesus can open our eyes. See, it's, so, it's, it's easier to be a doubter. It's so much easier to be a doubter. It's, it's more comfortable to be a person that's a skeptic. It's safer to just question everything. Right? That's, we don't have to risk anything. But hope requires risk. Hope requires a boldness, a willingness to kind of press forward, to put it out there. There's so much risk to faith, and to, to faith, so much risk that faith has in it, but there is a tremendous reward to believing. Tremendous reward. There's a little story in our church, some people that, that are in our community at one chapel, a couple named Jack and Diane Young. Jack and Diane. I'm going to share with you a little ditty about Jack and Diane. <laughs> Two American kids growing up in the heartland. Jackie wanted to be a football star. <laughs> I'm not going to keep singing it. Jack and Diane were married in 1974. And uh, as all young families, you know, stand at the altar and, and they look forward with joy, look forward to a, a marriage that God is going to, to work in. And they, they had historically been good Christian people and they'd gone to church as they were growing up. And, and so they started on this journey of life together. And uh, there was a pain deep in the soul of Jack, uh, a history from his own family that he carried into that marriage. And they struggled through the beginning of life and, and began to work. Jack went to school, back to school to get his degree after they got married and he was holding down a couple of jobs and, and they began to have children and, and Diane actually was caring for the children at home and then she started a, a, an at-home business and as she be, began to, to this startup company at home, just caring for the kids. Jack was busy. Finally, he, he got a new job as a, uh, in sales, and, and he began to travel. And, and, and there, was a, there was a working to keep life together. There was a struggle because there was pain in their history. And, and they hadn't, especially Jack, had not dealt with it in a way that was positive or health, health, helpful or healthy. He kept it hidden. But little by little, our history always comes out. And, um, and we have to do something with it. We either give it to Jesus, we either offer it and lay it down, or, or it begins to destroy us. It's no different with Jack. As they began to go through life, his depression began to battle his mind. He struggled along and, as he traveled over and over and was gone uh, during the weeks and then he would come back home and he began to be detached and, and finally he, he, he was lured into the torture of pornography and, and drinking and he, so he, would, he, would, he was trying to medicate a pain that was deep inside of him with things that don't actually work. They don't actually medicate anything. They, they, they actually just keep the pain dulled and numbed but the the agony exists under the surface. Finally, 
it began to show itself. And, and you have to understand, while this was happening, they were going to church. They were trying to do the right thing. But there was a lack of surrender, a lack of yieldedness, an unwillingness to, to deal with what was really happening. And suddenly it broke into their own reality. Um, and, and Jack ended up being unfaithful in their marriage. It consumed him. It made him feel so condemned and full of guilt. He, he had to tell Diane, and, and so he told her. And, and, and because they had, they had dealt with this over and over again, and because there was a depression that would come on him. In fact, one, uh, one time, the willingness to end it all came upon Jack, and he, he wanted to commit suicide, and his, his daughter actually helped talk him out of it. This had been a, a cycle that it continued, and finally it burst out onto the scene, and, and that was it for Diane. It was over. It was done. She'd walked with him. She'd walked through that cycle over, and it was over. And she filed for divorce. This was in 2010, and, and we had just started our church, one chapel, and a, at the AMC theaters in Barton Creek Square Mall, and they started coming to our church during that time. And the divorce was being filed at the end of 2010, and they had been coming, and this all began to spill out. And so I began to meet with Jack, and we, there was a, a process and, that began to go on. And, and Jack would sit across from me over coffee and weep and, and, and just feel so terrible about what had happened and the, the shambles that his marriage had become and what he'd done to, to his children. And, and, and Diane was... was you know, there's a brick wall. She was a rock. She was immovable. But Jack was in puddles. He was weeping, wondering if God could ever rescue him. Wondering if God could put his life together. Wondering if there could be a chance, any chance ever, that Diane would come back to him. And uh, during that time, I remember I, talking to Diane, and it was, um, it was pretty much just not going to happen. It was over. And the interesting thing about this process is they would come to church, and Diane had started um, caring for her aging mother, Margie. And so they continued to come to church during this time. And understand... These kinds of things burst onto the surface because other things happened. They had lost uh, parents. Jack had lost his job. There was pressure bearing down on him, and that's what happens. Because situations don't make you or break you. They simply begin to expose you for who you really are. That's what happens. It just happens to every one of us. And so this began to come out, and, but, but in the middle of it, they continued to come to church. And even as a divorced couple, they continued to come to the same church. Weird. So they'd come to church, and they would sit. Margie would sit in the middle, and Jack on one side, and Diane, Diane on the other. Poor Margie. And so the, Diane did not want their kids to be hurt, and of course, neither did Jack. And so he was 
agonizing over that and really going through a season of repentance and, and they both sought counseling and therapy and they surrounded themselves with community, with people who could speak into their lives and they began this journey of just trying to right the ship, just trying to get their lives back. And as they did, something crazy happened. I remember telling Jack as he asked, could God ever restore his marriage? And I said... I know he can, but there's nothing you can do to change her. There's only what you can do to surrender to what Jesus is saying and doing in your life. Get your heart in the right place and leave the rest to God. Listen, if you've ever been in a position where you had to do that, where you were unsure of the outcome, where you couldn't figure it out, you knew you had to trust, that, that's one of the hardest places to be. Your darkest hour, it's always his finest. It's always God's finest. So what happened was a little spark came alive in Diane when she hurt her leg. She, she, had, she had really damaged her leg and she became immobile for several weeks and months. And they had, of course, had been still in communication. Jack would spend holidays with the family and, 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 and they, they were at church every week, but it was, that was all there was. But suddenly there was a little spark. Something happened in Diane's heart because every time she needed something, every time she was in trouble and she had no one else to rely on, Jack ended up being there, taking care of her, helping her with whatever she needed at the house or, or taking her someplace. He was the one who could be relied on, and something happened in her heart and began to grow. And she came to talk to me about it. And she said, she said, this is happening to me. Is this good? I'm not sure this is good. Like, am I crazy? And I said, of course, I'd been having coffee with Jack all through this time. I, I knew that he, his process and what God was doing in him, and I saw it, and I was encouraging him, and, and I was and kind of helping him through the, the journey. And I said, it is not only good, it is God working in your heart if you can open yourself up to it. Because it's risky. It was risky for her. But she did. And they began dating. It's weird when divorced couples date. <laughs> but I think it reflects a new reality a resurrection reality. And they began to date and see what God would do and, sudden, and little by little. And it didn't happen overnight. It was a process. It was a journey. And finally they came to me and said, we think we want to get married. <laughs> and so after 36 and a half years of marriage and three years of divorce, I am happy to announce to you that this coming Saturday, I will stand up and officiate the wedding, the second wedding of Jack and Diane Young. They were in both the first services with their serve shirts on, uh, uh, ushering people and letting them sit down. Are you guys here? They went home. Yeah. If you could see them, they're such a cute couple. They are so, it's so amazing to watch Jesus bring something to life that was totally dead. Something that was beyond healing. It could not be repaired. It was a violation that was beyond repair. 
This is the reality of resurrection life. That's the reality we all have to tap into. And so they are here among us experiencing that resurrection reality. But here's, here's how they did it. All right, I want to give you a few, just three simple clues as to how it works. All right, you ready? You want to write them down? Get your pen and, and paper and journal out. I'm just going to give you three things. Ready? Number one, number one, when you need a resurrection, make sure you're dead. When you need a resurrection, make sure you're dead. Here's what happens. We come to Jesus in need of resurrection power, but we want to hang on to everything we've got too. We want to add Jesus to what we already possess. Instead of surrendering to the cross and letting our lives go to him, we want to bring ourselves alive to him. Listen, it doesn't work. Resurrection doesn't happen without a death. As I sat across from Jack, I watched him die. I watched him give everything up. I watched him begin to surrender to what Jesus was doing in his life. It was incredible to watch. And I, frankly, all right, as a pastor, I see these things a lot. I didn't think there was any chance. I thought it was over. But of course, I trusted and believed that God could do anything. Because resurrection life means unlimited possibilities. I love the Princess Bride movie. You ever seen that? There's a, there's a moment in that movie where they go to the old guy, right? And he says, they put him on the table and Wesley's dead and they have to bring him back to life. And, and, and they think he, this guy, this old guy can bring him back to life. And he says, there's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. You got to be all dead. You got to give it all up. Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. It means every day you got to give everything up, and then his life comes flooding into you. His resurrection power, his miracle working force comes into you. When the day of pain and suffering comes upon you, surrender yourself to God. And hey, hey, there's enough pain and suffering in this world. It's going to come for every one of us. You may think your life is rolling right now and you're, 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 you're just feeling like you're high on your own success and your own abilities, but there is a day that always comes for every one of us where pain and suffering crashes into our world. And the question is, what will you do? Shake your fist at God and say, why'd you do this to me? Shocking that so many people respond that way. When the right solution is to surrender yourself completely, wholeheartedly. Give everything up and ask God to come and fix it. Number two, when you need a resurrection, don't try to move the stone yourself. Don't try to move the stone yourself. This is what happens so often. We get into self-help when really what we need is resurrection power. So I'm not saying you shouldn't go to counseling. I'm not saying you shouldn't be in a community where people invest in you. Yeah, absolutely you should do this. But there's a difference between yielding to others, opening your life up and becoming vulnerable, letting people speak into it, and trying to fix it yourself. We are addicted to fixing things in American culture. We think we can fix it. We think we can figure it out. Listen, the stone was real. It was guarded. <laughs> it was heavy. But here's what I want you to think about. Think about this. The stone was rolled away not to let Jesus out. 
but to let the disciples in. Or just think about that for a second. What does that mean? It means that when God infused Jesus with resurrection power, a little tiny stone was not the issue. Jesus didn't need God, or he didn't need himself. He didn't push the stone away himself. He was so much greater. The power that lived in him was so much larger, so much stronger than a little stone. The stone being rolled away so others could see it. Listen, the power for in your life to roll away whatever stone is entombing you or has you enslaved can only be moved by God. And there has to be a way for you to yield to him. Look, 1 Corinthians 1.25 says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. This is a crazy verse. I want you to just look at it. It says the weakness of God, God on his weakest day, on God's worst day, is stronger than anything you could figure out. Get some perspective here. The stone is not a big deal to God. I know it's a big deal to you. And let me just say this. I think the stone is real. There's practical things we have to do, like Jack and Diane did. But those things only come as a result of yielding to Jesus, trusting him. So when you find yourself weak and discouraged and doubting, rely on God's strength alone. When you find yourself weak and discouraged and doubting, rely on the Psalms. As you look in through the Psalms, you'll see each Psalm full of agony, full of humanness, full of, of, of discouragement, and people turning their hearts and relying on God and his strength instead of their own. Number three, finally, when all seems lost, put your hope in God's unlimited possibilities. Remember that his resurrection life and power there's a, there's a spark like happened to Diane. Just a little spark. <gasps> could this be true? Could there be a holy suspicion inside my heart that God could actually fix what's wrong? Is it possible? I assure you, because Jesus was raised from the dead, it is possible. Now listen, every one of us are going to go through times in our lives like this. There will be three days. There was three days that changed history. And one of them, the first day, was agony and suffering. Jesus was suffering. That happens to you and me. We, go, so we, we will go through a time of agony and suffering. The second day, they were going through doubt and discouragement. What has happened? We had such great plans. We, we, we thought God was going to deliver us. But the third day birthed hope and resurrection. And the problem is during the first and second day, we want to we, we, we ditch it. We want to we stop the process. We want to stop going to church. We want to stop connecting with others. And often we do it out of embarrassment. Oh, we don't want people to know what's going on inside of our hearts. Listen, that's the only way you're going to get on the, the resurrection life of God. The you're, you're, only way you're going to receive it is by opening everything up to God and to others. And that's what Jack and Diane did. And so there's a process here. If you are committed, if you're willing, if you are surrendered, like the Apostle Paul, you can say, I want to know Christ. I want to share 
in the power, the mighty power of his resurrection and share in the sufferings, the sufferings of Jesus and participate in his death so that somehow, some mystical and supernatural way, I can be resurrected with him. So when blinded by your circumstances, when it seems like you have to wait, when it seems like it's not going to happen, put your hope in the only place it belongs, in the resurrection of Christ. Close your eyes, bow your head, and I want you to, I want you to just to think about where your life is. Some of you have done your own thing for so long, and you're, you end up here because, you know, on a day, on Easter Sunday, because of a family member invited you or a friend invited you here, and, and, and you're thinking to yourself, well, what, is, what does this mean for me? Could it be that there's a spark of hope that this could be true? Could it be that you, you just a, a desire that there, this, is, this might be true? And if it is true, I think I have to risk it. I want to encourage you to risk it today. I want to encourage you to, to trust Jesus to take away your shame, to take away your past, to take away every habit every attempt to medicate yourself, every, even every success that you sort of rely on and depend on for your own significance, even yield that, even lay that down and let Christ come in and begin to infuse you with power. What a dead-end life just to believe that we're going to live here and live it up and come to the end and nothing Eternal life starts now. Eternal life can start and begin in you. And so I, I don't want to embarrass you or call you forward. I'm not going to do anything like that. But if you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, Pastor, I need a fresh start. I need you to pray for me. I want to give my life to Christ once and for all. If that's you, I don't want, I, I, I don't want you to do anything except open your heart, open your life to him. And as a way of doing that, every, every eye closed, every head bowed, if this is a moment where you're saying, I need to commit myself to him, I need to let him in, I need to follow him, I'm tired of doing my own thing, I'm, I'm struggling through life, and I need him to give me resurrection life, and that's you, and that describes you. Fresh start today. Just shoot your hand up in the air right now and say, Pastor, please pray for me. Pastor, please pray for me. Yep, I see you back here. Anybody else? Right up here in front. Anybody else? All through the middle section, way back here in the back. Anybody else? This is your day. This is your defining moment. This can be your resurrection Sunday. In the darkness, the hiddenness, God is working. Would you put your hope in him? Would you put your faith in him? Anybody else? Anybody else? Don't be ashamed. Don't be, don't be hesitant. Yep, I see you right here. Anybody else? That's good. I see you back there. I see you, young man. Good decision. Good decision. Anybody else? Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. All right, let's pray. Everybody, let's pray this prayer. Come on. Say it with me. Everybody across this room, because we all need to surrender our lives to God. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who shows us the way, shows me the way,
to lay down my life. Forgive me for my sins, for my failures, my past, my foolishness. I'm tired of doing it my own way. I surrender my life to you. I give my life to you. I put you in charge. Take over. Jesus, take over. Fill me with resurrection power. I receive you now. I trust you now. I give in to hope. I embrace life. Thank you, Jesus. Say it one more time. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for every person who prayed that prayer that you would seal it in them. And even as they go from this place, that you would continue to work in them and work in their hearts and work in their lives. That you remind them of who you are and who they are as they surrender to you. Lord, we thank you for resurrection power coming alive inside of each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.